Well, good morning, everybody. Once again, um, welcome to Harvest Point. I, I didn't say this earlier. My name is Jonathan Anderson. I'm the lead pastor here. And Harvest Point, um, we're about a few big things. We're about loving God, loving other people, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ um, with the entire world, starting locally and then reaching out regionally and then also globally. And as we do those things, we want to be a church where everybody is known by name. And so to help with that effort, I, I want you to do something. The introverts are going to hate me for this. Um, but I know you just greet everybody. But what I want you to do is turn to the person to the left or the right. You might have to move down your row. And I want you to find out their name, and I want you to commit it to memory, okay? Ready, set, go. Some of you, it's going to be easy. It's a family member. Okay, did you commit them to memory? I hope you committed them to memory. Because I have to say that, because I don't know if you're anything like me, but oftentimes when I learn somebody's name, it comes in one ear and then just goes right out the other. And some pastors have this magical gift of being able to know everybody's name and memorize them instantly and remember, I don't have that gift. You can ask my wife. She, she reminds me a lot that I have a bad memory. I have to commit names to memory. And um, names are important. Names are extremely important in our culture, and to be known by name uh, makes you feel special, and it, it creates a difference in the relationship. And whenever I think about knowing somebody's name, I think about a time a number of years ago when I was a camp counselor at a student camp. And there, for five years, year after year, I gathered with the same students, and we studied the Bible together, we worshiped together, and we really all grew closer to Jesus Christ together. And during those years, you know, I saw students go from 6th graders to 10th graders, which is a big difference, saw them mature a lot, and on the final night of camp every year, there would be this service where we'd share in communion together and we'd reflect on the week. And it's kind of this holy time where we think about all that God's done. And at the end of that week, this one kid who I'd watched grow up and mature so much over the last five years, he came up to me and he said, hey, Pastor Jonathan, would you be willing to pray with me and for me? I'm going through some stuff. And I was so excited because I'd seen this kid grow from just this middle school kid who was always punking everybody around into to this mature guy who was wanting to grow in his faith. And I was so excited to pray for him. And so I began to start to pray, and I had forgotten his name. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to pray for somebody specifically when you don't know their name, but it can get awkward really quick. And so I was like, God, we thank you for this boy, this young man. We, we thank you and praise you for him, God, to transform his life. You know his name, you know his name, and you're with him and for him. It was terrible, right? It was terrible, and he probably remembered it and is scarred for life spiritually. But it was one of those moments where I remembered names are important, and remembering names are important because I went from here so excited down to here in just a few seconds. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience of, of forgetting somebody's name and, and going from here excited to see them and then feeling about this tall. Or if you've ever had that experience where you get a phone call and it's the school calling you and then the school mentions your child's name on the other end of the line. And you generally know that's not good and so your good day at work has suddenly gone south. Or maybe you, you've been in a conversation with someone you love uh, your, your spouse, 
boyfriend, girlfriend, and you're having a conversation, and then it, the conversation gets louder and louder and louder, and then it turns into an argument, and then one of you calls the other person a name, and you go from here to here. Or a loved one calls you, they say your name, and they ask you to sit down because they have some news for you. In our world, it's so easy to go from living right up here to down here, and it can happen in a split second. It can take one decision. One decision and our integrity is questioned. One decision and our finances are destroyed. One decision and everything can change. And when we find ourselves in those low moments, what we find ourselves is seeing the brokenness of this world and we see ourselves living with fear and shame and sometimes sin. When we find ourselves in those, find ourselves in those tough times, sometimes it can be in the midst of, uh, of the death of someone we love. And I think sometimes when we come to the Bible, we think that people in the Bible, they were kind of immune to all of this stuff. They didn't really experience it. But this week, as I've been preparing for Easter and reading the stories of Jesus' life again, I've been reminded that the disciples and the earliest followers of Jesus, they knew exactly what it was like to go from high to low. Because if you're familiar with the story, you know that these disciples, they left everything behind to follow Jesus. Disciples like Simon Peter and John, and then other people began to follow Jesus as well. People like Mary Magdalene and hundreds of others. They began to follow him and learn from him, learn about the kingdom of God. They began to see him do miracles and do great things. And then Jesus was beginning to draw crowds, and they were seeing his miracles, and there was excitement happening. And then we find him entering into Jerusalem one day, and people lay palm branches down on the road, and they're cheering him, and they're celebrating him, and he enters into the city like a king. The crowds are continuing to expand. There's excitement, and everybody's thinking, this is it. This is the guy that's going to transform our nation. This is the guy that's going to make everything different. And then Jesus shares in a meal with the disciples, the Passover meal, where the Jewish people remembered that they had been delivered by God from slavery in Egypt. And as he shared in that meal with him, he said, look, guys, this is my body, which is broken for you, and this is my blood, which is shed for you. And they didn't really understand that. But then soon after, he was praying in a garden, and a group of people with torches came through the woods. And then they arrested him. And then the other disciples saw what was going on. They saw that it was Judas. It was one of Jesus' followers that had betrayed him. And Jesus was imprisoned in that long night. And then the next morning, the same people who shouted for him to be their new king and who were cheering him on just a week before, they were shouting, crucify him, kill him on a cross, the worst death imaginable in their culture. And so Pilate ultimately gave Jesus over to crucifixion. And Jesus' disciples, many of them, people like Mary Magdalene, John, Mary's mother, they watched him be beaten, be flogged. They watched him suffer on a cross like this one over here. They watched him die. And they saw his body be put into a tomb. And they were here. And in those moments, I imagine they looked back at all of those amazing times with Jesus, at all those miracles. And they thought, was any of it real? Were we fools for following Jesus and giving up everything? In their present situation, they, they probably looked around and, and said, could we have done something to prevent all of this from happening? 
Was this somehow our fault? Could we have gotten him down from the cross? And they looked out to the future, and their future was probably just blank. I don't know if you've ever been there when you've been brought low. But they'd imagined a future with Jesus, and now Jesus was gone, so they had no future. And that's where we find the disciples, these followers of Jesus, in the midst of his death. And that's where John, writing in his gospel, in the 20th chapter, continues on with the story. And we discover that that his death wasn't the end of the story. And so beginning in verse 1, John writes this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, And she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the disciple, other disciples started for the tomb and both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And then finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he also went inside. And he saw and believed, although they still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And now Mary, she stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. I've seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Can you imagine Mary Magdalene proclaiming that after she had watched him die on the cross? I have seen the Lord. She was filled with more joy and excitement than she'd ever experienced in her entire life. I've seen the Lord. She was filled with more joy and excitement than she'd ever experienced, but it was also a little awkwardness because the man she had just accused of taking Jesus' body turns out to be Jesus. And she learns that it's Jesus when he says her name, when he says, Mary. 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 And when she heard her name, she realized that this was her rabbi, this was her teacher. This was her Lord. This was the man she had dedicated her life to. And when the resurrected Christ said Mary's name, he instantly transformed her past, her present, and her future. Because you see, Mary, when she heard him say her name and she realized it was the resurrected Christ, 
she, she started thinking back to everything he had ever taught her, and she realized that it was all true. So she probably started thinking back through his teachings, how at one point he said, you're going to grieve, but then your grieving is going to turn to joy. And now he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die in this world, they're going to live forever. She, she remembered John the Baptist and how he had said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. She realized when he said her name that this was Jesus and he was who he said he was. He was the Lord of Lords. He was the King of Kings. He was the Son of God. He was the long-awaited Messiah. He was the Savior of the entire world. And everything changed for her. And in that moment, she was crying, right? That's what we read in the text. She was crying and she was weeping and she was filled with grief. And in that moment when she heard her name, all of that was changed. And her tears turned to joy. They turned to joy. And she looked at him and she would have seen the nail scars in his wrist from where he had been nailed to the cross. And she realized this wasn't a ghost. This wasn't a figment of her imagination. This wasn't something he, he, people were just making up. This was him. This was Jesus Christ in a resurrected body. And when she saw his resurrected body, she was able to have hope. That one day she would share in that resurrection. That one day she too would have a resurrected body and live forever in God's eternal kingdom. A kingdom with no more tears, no more shame, no more sin, no more suffering, and no more death. And in that moment when he said her name, her future was completely opened up to new possibilities. Because she had a new hold on life. And Jesus had given her a new purpose in life. We discover that Jesus gives her a purpose. He says, go and tell other people what you've seen. Go and tell them that I am risen from the dead and I'm going to ascend to my Father and your Father. Go and tell them. And Mary probably thought, they're not going to believe me. I'm a woman. In that culture, women weren't even allowed to testify in court. Jesus said, go. And so she went and she told other people. And as she went, her story was changed forever. The story of history was changed forever. And as that message has been proclaimed generation after generation, it's now come to us. And we learn this morning, and we're reminded once again, that the resurrected Christ, He knows your name. And He's able to transform your story as well. He's able to transform your past, your present, and the future. And now this might scare you, but the truth is Jesus knows everything about you. He knows all the ways you've fallen short, that you've hurt other people. He knows the ways that you've ignored him working in your life. He sees the depths of your heart, but here's the crazy thing. He loves you the same. And he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into this world to die for you. That's how much Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he would be willing to die on the cross so that you could be forgiven from your past, so that your past can be redeemed, transformed. But he doesn't just want to transform your past. He just doesn't want to forgive you. He also wants to give you new life in the present. Because Jesus, he knows what you're going through right now as well. 
He knows the pain. He knows the brokenness. He knows all the challenges in your family and in your life and in your workplace. He knows it all. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to to have sin placed upon him because he experienced all of that on the cross. He experienced suffering, guilt. He experienced death. But at Easter, we celebrate that death didn't have the final word, that on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he conquered it all and that he now lives and reigns in victory and that he's ascended to the Father. And so that means that his presence is available to you in the midst of anything you're facing in life. But it's not just his presence that's available to you, it's also his power. His power is available to you. And at Easter, we remember that God doesn't shy away from broken things and God doesn't shy away from dead things. It's in the midst of those circumstances that God does his best work. And so if you feel like your marriage is broken, your career is ruined, your finances are shattered, if you feel like you're just kind of dead inside, and you don't even know why you're living or what you're living for, Jesus wants to meet you in that place. And the same power that raised him from the grave is able to transform your life. That power is available to you to resurrect dead things and bring them to life in your own life right now, today. But it's not just today, it's also for the future. Because at Easter we celebrate that Jesus has risen from the grave. And his resurrection is a foretaste of what we're going to share in in eternity. Because in Scripture we read that those who believe and those who live in him will spend forever, will spend eternity with him in a kingdom with no more tears, no more shame, no more guilt. We get to spend paradise with him. That's God's preferred future for every single person. And that's why God has given us a mission just like he gave to Mary to go and to share the good news with other people. Because he not only knows your name, he knows the name of every single person in this world and he wants a relationship with every single one of us. And this morning he's calling out to you. He's calling out to you and he wants you to accept his embrace, to accept his love, and to let it transform you from the inside out. All you have to do is open up your heart and receive it. And a few years ago, there was a guy named Cody who, who did receive this. And Cody came up to me and he asked me to pray with him. And thankfully, I remembered Cody's name. And Cody, I, I knew Cody from a Bible study I had been leading at Phillips Transitional Center. And if you're not familiar with transitional centers in the state of Georgia, um, they're part of, of the justice system and they're incarceration facilities, but you can work during the day, but you have to sleep there at night. And I've been leading a Bible study with him. He was preparing to get out and, and he was so happy because he had experienced transformation by Jesus Christ. And so he said, Jonathan, I want to outwardly experience baptism to celebrate what God's doing inside of my heart. And so I had the privilege and the honor to baptize Cody And as we baptized him, we remember that God had forgiven his past. I don't know why he was in prison, but God did. And God forgave him and redeemed that past. And in the present, we celebrated that he was experiencing new life. Now, he wasn't immediately released from his circumstances. They didn't all change in a minute, but the circumstances inside of himself changed because he had new hope, new future, a new purpose. 
And we celebrated the future that we were going to share together in God's kingdom. And after that, a few weeks later, he came up to me and he said, Hey, Jonathan, um, can you come here for a second? And we kind of went off to the side and he started unbuttoning his shirt. And that was kind of weird, right? It was like, what's going on here? And he said, I want to show you something. I want to show you my tattoo. And he showed me this huge tattoo on his shoulder blade. And he said, Jonathan, a few weeks ago, this tattoo was a skull. It's something I'd gotten years ago. But after my baptism, I had somebody come in and cover it up and transform it into a tree of life. When I saw his tattoo, I thought that's what Easter's about. It's about Jesus moving from death to life. And Easter is about Jesus offering us that same gift. That ability to move from death to life. That ability to experience transformation here and now. And the cross is really a symbol of death in the Roman culture. Because the cross for many years was the worst form of punishment that someone could experience. It was brutal, it was humiliating, it was done publicly, it was a source of great suffering and of great shame. And that's what Jesus experienced. But on Easter, we remember that Jesus rose again. And we remember that Jesus has now transformed the cross from a symbol of death to a symbol of new life and to a symbol of beauty and to a symbol of eternity with him. And so this morning, as we close out our service, we're going to take part in transforming this cross. We're going to see it come to life as we, or put, as we put flowers in it. And so in just a minute, the kids are going to come in, and they're going to come in the back. So if you have a kid, in just a couple minutes, you can meet them in the back and pair up with them there. And then if you'll just form a line along this wall, we have baskets of flowers here. And if you'll take a flower, we want to invite you and your family to simply put it on the cross and to watch the cross be transformed. And as you watch the cross become transformed, my hope is that you'll hear Jesus speaking out your name. You'll hear him whispering it, saying, come to me. I love you. Receive my embrace. Receive my grace and let me transform you from the inside out. So as we prepare to do that this morning, let's go before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that death is not the final word. Thank you for conquering sin, shame, guilt, and the brokenness of this world. And God, we look forward to the day that we're going to live forever in your kingdom. And we know that until that day that we still live in a world where, where brokenness tries to hold on. It tries to get a grip on us, God. But today we remember your resurrection power. Your power that has the ability to transform our past, our present, and our future. 
And so, God, we pray for every person in here and every family represented here, and we pray that your power would enter into their lives this morning, that it would transform them, God, and that you would give new hope, new life, and a new sense of purpose here in this church. We love you, and we thank you for the cross, and we thank you for the empty grave. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So come as you're able and you feel led simply along this sidewalk.